Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am passionate about helping women just like you embrace your true self so you can show up confidently in your life. Join me as we talk about overcoming limiting beliefs, reshaping what health and wellness really look like, and take steps to becoming captivatingly confident. With all that said, let's go to the show. Hey friends, welcome to episode 78 of the podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest. Megan Hale is a leadership coach, integrity expert, and founder of Wild and Holy. She provides mindset and energetic wisdom mixed with business strategy for women entrepreneurs to show up braver, go all in, and expand into their fullest expression. Through grounded leadership, she guides her clients to hold exquisite space for themselves during times of deep expansion while consistently growing their profits and visibility to serve at their highest level. With a sought-after spiritual perspective, she's known for pulling together powerful groups of integrity-driven women entrepreneurs for group coaching and mentoring programs, courses, and her infamous Wild and Holy Weekend Retreats all tailored around the intersection of mindset, money, and business strategy while deepening into your own grounded leadership. Her raved about free Grounded Goals Masterclass invites you into her unique goal-setting process to create your own grounded money goals, the foundation for money that feels good, with a roadmap to achieve your wildest success. With a special interest in elevating women's leadership and wealth, she regularly podcasts on the intersections of psychology, spirituality, money, and business on the much-acclaimed weekly show, Wild and Holy Radio, which is available on your favorite podcasting app. So make sure you go check that out, subscribe, and download all the episodes because they're amazing, whether you're a business owner or not. And Megan just brings so much integrity and wisdom to everything that she does. And I'm so, so, so excited for this conversation. Between Megan and I, we're going to talk about a little bit of her story and how she arrived into this confident space and how she continues to practice confidence and also her take on confidence and money. Oh, money. We're going to talk about money. We haven't talked about money on the podcast before, and it's something that I'm in the the very beginning stages of starting to work on myself. So you'll hear lots of personal testimony from me um, about my story and history and experience, which as I speak with other women in the community, I'm realizing a lot of us hold the same thoughts and feelings about money. And we all come from different backgrounds, but we all have kind of some similar hangups about money. So I'm really excited for you to hear Megan talk about those and kind of break those down. So without further ado, ladies, Megan Hale. <laughs> All right, Megan, I'm so excited that you are here. Welcome to the show. Kim, I am so honored to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is a privilege of mine. So how I met Megan, I feel like I need to give just a quick little backsplash is that I love listening to Steph Crowder and she is a killer business coach uh, and she has the Courage and Clarity podcast. And so last year I started listening to that and Megan was her business bestie, is her business bestie. 
And they did Mm -hmm. this business wisdom podcast series. And I just fell in love with Megan and her insights and wisdom. And I actually got to go on a wisdom retreat, which is business wisdom put together. And Mm -hmm. I got to meet Megan and friends. You need to know this woman. (laughs) You've got to. I mean, whether you have a business or not, like this woman, oh, there's so much to learn. So this episode is just going to be packed. I know it. So I'm so excited. Okay, Megan. (laughs) Megan, tell us a little bit about you. Have you always been this kind of confident or is that like a process that you've had to go through and what does that look like for you? Oh my goodness. I think confidence is something that you're always embodying on Mm -hmm. deeper levels. It's Mm -hmm. for sure process. It's an ongoing process. And I would say, you know, I think that we're all born with confidence. I really do. Mm -hmm. And I think along the way we start letting a lot of messages from the world in Mm. that start to make us question our confidence. And I think that it's a journey finding your way back home to your confidence Mm. and learning how to protect it, learning how to deepen it. And for me, I mean, that's been my whole life journey. I mean, I remember I would say probably around 11 is when things really kind of started to go sideways for me mm-hmm. of really starting to feel anxious in my skin, not feeling good enough, always comparing myself to other girls, never knowing if I fit in. And from there, it really was like a 15 year long journey of really coming home to who I am and learning how to be comfortable in my skin. Mm. And even to this day, Kim, like anytime I'm going through an expansion, you know, my confidence gets rocked a little bit and it's something that I have to come home to and ground myself into to keep on taking those brave steps. Wow. So what does that look like coming home to your confidence? What does that look like for you? I think, I mean, it's lots of things, but I think the, the root of it is really understanding how you define what it means to be enough. And this is work that I specifically did for myself, a lot of inner child work in 2015, even um, of really trying to figure out who I was as a entrepreneur, as a professional and understanding how I was defining success and happiness and all of those things. And what I arrived to was really having to divorce a lot of the definitions that I had been taught to believe around what it meant to be enough and really give myself permission to start to define it on my own terms. Wow. That is, gosh, I'm just taking that all in. And I don't know about you that are listening, but I'm totally taking notes. So, (laughs) so defining enough looks like divorcing yourself from a lot of the ideas about what you thought you should be or what Mm -hmm. it should be like to be enough. Were there any particular ones that really just like kept coming back that you, that you felt like, man, I, I feel like I've already faced this, but here it is again. Were there any of those for you? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, (laughs) you know, I wrote a blog post, uh, five years ago now, almost five years ago, 
And it was titled the five P's that prevent enoughness. And those five P's, I think all show up for us in different variations. So the ones that, and they still come up today. Okay. So enoughness is never something that you arrive to. It's just something that you continue walking yourself home to. Okay. Mm -hmm. The truth of who you are is that you have always been enough. You always will be enough. You are enough right now. The thing is, is we, we forget that a lot. <laughs> so knowing the tools to come back to that truth is really the work of enoughness. But the things that knock us out of it that come up over and over again, the first one is that you have to be perfect in order mm-hmm. to be enough. The mm-hmm. second is that everyone else has to be happy. You have to please other people in order for you to be enough. The third is that you have to get a lot done in record time in order for you to be enough. This is all around performance and performing. Mm. The other one is you have to prove that you are worthy of love and belonging. So we get into this mode where we have to, like where we think we have to hustle in order to fit in. Mm. And then the fifth one is that we put off, we procrastinate stepping into the arena of who we're here to be. And that's it's kind of a sneaky way that perfectionism shows up and also all the other P's. And so procrastination is really a function of all of these other um, P's that show up for us that really prevent us from becoming who we're here to be. So those are the one, and they show up in different outfits, (laughs) no matter (laughs) where you are in your life, no matter how much success you have, none of those things matter to the P's. (laughs) They love to show up. They might wear different shoes, different dresses, what have you, but learning to recognize them is key, that those are not your truth and those are not the rules you have to play by. Yeah. So much about awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Just even being able to catch these because it's so easy to just be moving along and and just coming up against roadblocks or feeling stuck and not even knowing why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was, um, you know, I'm in the middle of a course launch right now and it's amazing. I was out journaling yesterday because yesterday was a really, really Monday, Monday, if you know what I mean. And so I took my journal and I went on a solo date by myself and I just started journaling. I was like, what's all this pressure? Like, where's all this coming from? And there were like the peas were showing up. That this needed to be a perfect launch, that I did not have everything put together, like all of those things. And I was like, "Mm, I know these stories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think being able to identify them is so important. And then being able to ground yourself into that voice of self-compassion is like, that's the way that we come back to our confidence. Compassion is such a huge gateway for that. Oh, it's huge. Mm -hmm. But I find that a lot of the people in my community really struggle with compassion, especially when it comes to areas of physicality, as like body image issues, weight, and just overall appearance. There seems to be a, an abundance of criticism, but a real lack in compassion. So do you have any, like, what are your go-tos to really foster that sense of compassion for yourself? So I think the biggest thing, like compassion is like a muscle. It's it's a skill set that you have to hone. And I think that it's, we all have access to a compassionate, loving, reassuring voice in each of us. And to me, that is, that's the divine voice. That is the voice of my intuition. That's the voice of my spirit, my soul. And it always speaks to me 
with just so much love and kindness. Mm. But the way that I've started to even become aware of that voice is really starting to create space and time to hear it. Mm. But also, I think in order for us to hear it, we have to almost model what that voice would sound like for us. So for many of us, when we're starting to tune into this voice, it's it can feel like a whisper, like it's not even there. <laughs> and so for us to actually make that the loudest voice in our minds, we have to spend a lot of time conversing with it. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by this is your voice of self-criticism, that's just your creativity without any boundaries. If we were to allow our creativity to play itself out to our favor, that's really when we have the opportunity to imagine what is the most loving thing that you need to hear right now? Mm-hmm. Because you, everybody knows what that thing is right now in this moment. And if we can start tuning into that and giving ourselves that, that's how we start to build this voice of self-compassion for ourselves. I love that. I love that. Because isn't it one of the best questions when somebody just asks you, what do you need? And so it sounds like you're saying that that is kind of, in essence, the question to ask is, what do you need to hear right now? Or what do you need to feel or see in order to feel that compassion for yourself? Yeah, because I mean, the whole goal of this whole life journey, I really believe, I mean, there's lots of goals, but I think one of the biggest ones is really learning how to be your own best friend. And Mm. that means to learn how to speak to yourself with love and kindness, but also be that reassuring life partner for yourself, right? And if you can just simply get in the habit, like when you feel that self-criticism pop up, when you feel that fear pop up, seriously ask yourself, what's, what's the thing that I need to hear right now that is, feels reassuring? Mm. That's it. Yeah. And not looking to other people to get that need met, but to do that for yourself. Or, okay. I'm so glad you brought that up (laughs) (laughs) because there is, and I love that. I think that self-sufficiency in regards to self-compassion is so huge. But I also think that that walks a fine line for us to silo Hmm. and shame. It loves silos. (laughs) So what I think is most important is to, yes, offer those words of reassurance to yourself, but also ask the people that you love to give you those words of reassurance as well. And so what this looks like in action is, you know, let's say I'm going through um, something that's really challenging and I really just need to hear it's going to be okay. And the first thing that I will do is offer that to myself. And I will say, Megan, you're okay. It's going to be okay. And then I will go to my husband and I will say, I need you to, I need you to like wash these words over me. Just tell me that it's going to be okay. And I think having it mirrored to you adds another layer on, and it also creates opportunity for connection. So you're not isolating and you're not carrying your stuff on your own. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think where I was coming from was more the trap that it can be easy to fall into of needing approval or needing to hear validation from other people and not being able to give it to yourself. But mm-hmm. instead, mm-hmm. finding it, like you just said, you know, offering it to yourself first and then having it validated by people that are close to you and in your circle and people you can trust that love mm-hmm. you. 
Mm-hmm, for sure. Totally. Oh, I love that. Oh, this is so good. I have so many pages of notes already. I mean, <laughs> granted, my pages are small, but there's lots of notes. <laughs> so I love those five Ps. So where can people, obviously I'll link in the show notes, but just tell us where we can find that blog post that you wrote. Yeah, you can actually find, so I just came out with a new website and this blog post is actually on my old website. So if you actually, if you just Google the five P's that prevent enoughness, my, that blog post will come up. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Cause I know that that's going to be something that is super valuable and I highly recommend going over and checking that out. It's so well written. I've read it a couple of times and Mm -hmm. love the way you write. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about your podcast and the work that you've been doing and your course that's coming up because money is, it's one of those things that I think we all have hangups about. And Mm -hmm. I just, the way that you've been talking about money on your podcast, Wild and Holy Radio has been just so transformative for me personally. And especially the love languages. So tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about how you came across this idea of applying the five love languages, which is from Stephen Chapman. Stephen Chapman, did I just say that right? Gary Gary, Chapman. Gary Mm -hmm. Chapman. Stephen, who is this this guy that I just made up? That's crazy. Okay. (laughs) Some sort of crazy slip there. Gary Chapman, who wrote the five love languages. Megan yes. is a genius and applied that to money. So tell us, tell us all about it. Where did it come from? And, and how did you put these two together? Oh my goodness. So <laughs> I've been having a ball on wild and holy radio talking about money. It has been so fun. So for anybody who's listening, I'm a former psychotherapist who had a past expertise in anxiety, depression, and relationship issues. I have always gravitated towards family dynamics and relationships my big family. So understanding how all of those layers work together to create who we are, but also how we play out our family dynamic patterns and other relationships was something that was just so intriguing for me. So doing that work as a psychotherapist was a lot of fun and it was really gratifying. Mm-hmm. And I also did a lot of my own work and healing relationships because I had a lot of relationship issues in my life. Also, I had experience with anxiety and depression. So it's no wonder that those were my areas of expertise because I had some skin in the game when it came to sorting those out. So the five love languages is a, is a tool. It's a book that really helped heal my parents' marriage when they were going through a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. And my dad and I had always had a really tough relationship, just a lot of disconnect where I knew that we both loved each other, but we never really felt seen. We never really felt heard. That love was never really like received by either of us. It never landed, right? Mm -hmm. And as my parents healed their marriage, this book had come into their lives. And my dad passed this book down to me. And I was reading that book and I still have this book. It's probably one of my most treasured possessions. But as I was reading the book, in the margins, he had started writing my name next to certain love languages of saying, wow, this is what Megan needed when growing up. Like, why didn't I see it? Mm -hmm. And then I also saw notes in the margins of him identifying his love languages. And it was just, it was such a powerful experience for me that it 
really was the catalyst for us doing a lot of our healing and finally being able to connect. So they had this foundation utilizing these tools and applying them to my own relationships in my life and just seeing how transformative it was. And then along the lines of entrepreneurship, and even if even if entrepreneurship isn't part of your life, I think money is something that is very present for all of us. And we all have a personal relationship with it. And even before being an entrepreneur, I mean, I just had such a conflictual relationship with money. Something, mm-hmm. it was something that I wanted, but something that I couldn't figure out. It always felt like there was like this elusive thing that I never felt really seen by or had a deep connection with. So mm-hmm. what was interesting is as I became an entrepreneur and realized, wow, you know, money is part of doing business. And I really mm-hmm. need to figure out my personal relationship here that serves me, that supports me, that allows me to be who I'm here to be. And as I started looking at how I felt about money, I started realizing this actually sounds a lot like how I felt about my dad. And that's when I started to clue in of like, wow, if the five love languages helped me heal this this divide between me and my dad, I wonder if I could apply it to money. And as I started getting curious with that and applying those love languages, it completely like shifted so much for me and provided so much Mm -hmm. healing. So that's kind of how I stumbled upon it. It was really my personal relationship with my dad that laid the foundation for all of this. And it's been so fun just talking about how we apply these five love languages to money. I just love that. And I mean, I've got the craziest goosebumps over here (laughs) because it's so, I think so many so many of us struggle with money and, you know, money as a, as a very masculine energy, it can reflect those relationships that we have with the masculine. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that as far as that kind of energy and what it looks like to kind of heal that relationship. Mm, Yeah. Does that make sense? I feel like it was kind of a weird, weird question. Totally. And I think that in order to answer that question, we have to look at why we associate money with masculine energy. And I think to think about that, you know, money has notoriously been something that has been dominated by men. If you look at the financial industry, it's dominated by men. It wasn't until very recently when women were even allowed to open up their own checking accounts without a man co-signing. So there hasn't been a lot of time in our history of having uh, even possibility for women to have financial power. And so for us to have an empowered relationship with money, part of this comes from having experience managing your own money, learning about money, finding mastery with it, um, learning, like building tools and education and knowledge around it. And then learning how to direct your money to do what you want it to do. So you feel supported and you are creating a reality where your money is supporting your dreams because it really does need our, our direction. And I think when it comes to the masculinity of money, the reason why it feels like this masculine energy is because of how we might approach it to generate it. Mm. There's also a very feminine way in which we can generate money, in which we can play with it, in which we can allow it, attract it, 
intuit money, all of these things. And we can bring more balance between the masculine and feminine when it, uh, when it comes to money, but we have to give ourselves permission to play with it from that feminine perspective. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And here's a thought that just as you were talking, this popped into my head. So somebody out there needs to hear this, but can we talk for a minute about religion and money? Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) We can for sure talk about that. (laughs) Yay. Okay. So I'll use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. Growing up in a very conservative Christian home, money was something that was viewed as evil. Mm-hmm. And you can't serve two masters. You cannot love money and serve others. You can't be in the world and have money and be material, but still be a good Christian, like holy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier for a rich man. There's something about a camel and a needle and rich. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so growing up, like money was something that we gave away. We Mm -hmm. didn't collect it. We were very um, protective. It was always scarce. There was always like, you don't know how much money everything costs. And it just wasn't anything that was good, basically. Mm -hmm. And yet my parents worked all the time for money. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so at least for me growing up, that relationship with money was really strained as, and as a business owner, that's been work that I've had to do, but I'm really Mm -hmm. curious about your thoughts as far as healing that relationship with money and even getting to a place where you can view money as something that's positive and not something that is to be loathed or to be saved or something that's scarce and, you know, all of that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, you know, in my personal story, I come from a religious background as well as race Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, money, I can't speak from all Christian perspectives, but I can only speak from mine. But growing up, money was something that was often demonized. Yes. And there's a lot of layers to that. There's a lot of biblical stories that Mm -hmm. support money um, being evil or wrong or sinful, even greedy, right? That's one of the seven deadly sins. And so what we have to do, and I think, you know, reading Rob Bell's What is the Bible has been Mm -hmm. really helpful in putting a lot of things in context, especially a lot of the biblical stories and passages. And so what we have to understand is that money was demonized for a reason. It was, especially as religions were formed, If money was demonized to the masses, what that set up was for a very small number of people to be in financial power Mm. while others were not. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's actually um, supported the growth of religion and the growth of hierarchy and the growth of lots of things (laughs) that it's supported. And so when you can understand the context, first of all, that starts to open up some doors that maybe there's different ways of viewing this. Mm. However, I think the most transformative piece of all of this is understanding that in a lot of religious dogma, there's a lot of rules that you can only be one thing or the other. Things are good or bad, right or wrong. We see this duality a lot. 
And the problem with duality is although it provides roadmaps and boundaries for behavior that is guiding you towards more spiritual fulfillment, spiritual um, evolution, humans are not good or bad, right or wrong. Like we don't live in, in duality. Mm-hmm. We live in a lot of gray. Yes. And when you understand that money is also gray, that it's not, it's neither good nor bad. It's neither right nor wrong. You give yourself permission to live more in the and. And so for me and my personal story, I talk about this on the podcast. I think it's episode 29. It's titled wealthy and holy, holy and wealthy is I realized standing in a cathedral in Ireland one day that was filled with wealth, that this church was wealthy and holy. Mm -hmm. And if a cathedral can be that, if a congregation can be that, why can't the same be true for me? Mm -hmm. Because I am my own temple. I am my own church, right? Mm -hmm. And that was such a big moment for me of seeing Money is what we make it. We get to decide what this energy is in our lives. We get to decide how important or powerful it is that we can be just strong believers and followers of our own divinity while also cultivating wealth to help change the world. Yes. I love that. The and space And this is something that you have really been stepping into. And I just love how you're talking about it too. And maybe you can explain a little bit more about the, I think you call it, is it the both and? Is that? Both and? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a, I love, there's a jewelry maker who, she has a website called Soul Mantras. Her name is Liz. And she has a series of jewelry that's called the and space. And so Mm. there's two kind of juxtaposing ideas. Like, you know, one side of a necklace can be messy and the other side is brave. And like one can be rooted, the other can be free. And her whole line is about this and space where it's not that you're, you know, messy or brave. It's that you're both. So can you tell us a little bit about Mm -hmm. your experience with being both and rather than either or? I think for me, I've spent, I mean, oh my goodness. Like you talk about dealing with like lack of self-confidence. It was because I thought I could only be either or, right? Right? I could either be messy or I could have it all together. (laughs) I could be 100% confident or I could be experiencing voices of not enough, right? And I think the either or always limits you and it puts you in a box. And for me and my soul, and for most of the souls that I work with, boxes don't feel good. They feel very limiting. They feel almost like a trap. It feels like you have to paint yourself into somebody else's picture when you're really here to be the artist, right? And so both and is really around giving yourself permission to be all of who you are, that you can be completely messy and still know what you're talking about, still be an expert, right? Like this shows up in so many ways that we can be incredibly confident and still experience voices of not enough. It doesn't mean that we have to perfectly fit into a label. And I think the more permission you can give yourself to be all of it, 
that's what allows us to shift into something more. And I think that this, I mean, it really shows up in our emotional health. Mm. Like think about grief, for instance, like when you're going through some of the darkest grief of your life, there's also moments of just amazing, inspiring gratitude. Yeah. Like life, life is both. And it always is. It always has been. You can have moments of pure joy, seeing your child experience something new while also being worried about how things are going to work out in this particular transition that you're going through. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all of it all the time. <laughs> and yeah. I think when you start to open up to that, you're like, wow, we are such expansive creatures and I don't need to label this or call it anything. It's, it's all of these mm-hmm. things. Oh, I love that. Getting rid of the labels. Mm-hmm. We're, I feel like as a culture, we're so obsessed with labels. Things need to be defined and, you know, slap a word on it. And it's we live and die by these labels. But there's so much freedom that comes from really creating your own definitions. Like I love earlier when you were talking about defining enoughness for mm-hmm. yourself and the and comes into that so much so, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. God, I love that. Okay, well, we are, I want to just keep talking and talking and talking, but we're running out of time. So I want to make sure we get all the things talked about. So you have been doing all this work around money, which has been incredible, and it's led you to launch a course. Can you tell us about this course? Hint, hint, that I'm already signed up for. Oh my. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited that you're joining me too. It's going to be so much fun. So um, this course has really been developed because of the feedback I've gotten from the podcast. Um, season two of Wild and Holy Radio has been mostly all about money. I've really been laying out all of these different layers that we have to move through in order to cultivate a personal relationship with money that feels good for us. And it's been my experience in business that when something feels good, we're going to pursue it more. (laughs) And we're actually going to pursue it more in a way that feels true and authentic for us. So you know, I'm getting ready to teach a masterclass soon on the four steps to dependable money that lovingly supports your dreams. And part of that masterclass is really teasing apart the four pillars that we're going to be talking about inside Money Love, which is the four-week course. So Money Love is a culmination of four distinct pillars to really reshape how you feel about money and more importantly, create a dynamic where you feel that money loves you, that it supports you, that it shows up for you because that's what your money wants to do. (laughs) It wants to love you. It wants to support you. It wants to fund your wildest dreams. So the four pillars we're going to be moving through in the course are the spiritual work for us to really understand that we can be both wealthy and holy. We're going to go through the mental work of really understanding our beliefs and our thoughts that we have around money that are limiting us. So really starting to ground down into that both and we're also going to be doing the relational work where we're going to be applying those five love languages, how we're relating to money, trusting money, respecting money, building intimacy with money. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited about this. And then the fourth pillar is our actionable work of how we are interacting with our money on a daily basis, how we're stepping into more financial stewardship, money mastery, learning to direct our money to support us the way that we want it to really starting to delegate our money, starting to step into more of kind of a financial boss for ourselves. And I'm so excited about all of the things we're going to be diving into. I would love for anybody who wants money to feel better for them, wants it to feel more loving and supportive in their lives to come and join us for Money Love. It's getting started 
June 24th. And we're going to have hot seat coaching in there every Wednesday. So I'm going to pop in. We're going to talk about how you're feeling about money, um, really dive into any roadblocks that are, that are coming up for you that are preventing money from feeling the way you want it to feel. It's going to be such an awesome course. So I would love for you to join me. You can find out more at wildandholymoney.com. Wow. So here's something that I want to I want to touch on because I know from experience and from speaking with a lot of my listeners that it's hard to invest money into making money. And mm-hmm. Lewis and I, my four-year-old, we've started playing Monopoly. And mm-hmm. he already has the mindset of saving his money. And he's mm-hmm. hesitant to buy properties because he doesn't want to spend all of his money. Mm-hmm. And one of the lessons I've been teaching him through Monopoly is that in order to make money, you have to spend money mm-hmm. and that you have to invest in things that are going to have a direct return for you. Mm-hmm. And in this case, trying to get monopolies so you can build your apartments <laughs> and bankrupt the other people so that you win. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so for the people who, and this can be investing in anything, it doesn't have to just be investing in your course, which P.S. you should 100% do. Yeah. No questions asked. But for those that are really just like, oh man, I just, I don't think I have enough money right now. That's not my budget. I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, struggling with that, giving permission to invest. What would you say to them? I would say a couple of things. The first is I'm a really big believer of making wise investments. And there are a few questions that I ask myself before I invest my money, because I think that's part of financial stewardship. And some of those questions I would ask is, is this something that I really need right now? Is this the thing that's going to get me where I want to go? If you know that you have a complex relationship with money, a complicated relationship with money, if it feels elusive to you, if it feels like you are doing all of the right things, but it's still not generating into uh, more love in your bank account, mm-hmm. then this is something that it's, it's, it can be a missing link for you, just like it was for me. Okay. And so if you know that, then that's one answer to the, that question. The second is, am I willing to to show up and commit myself to this process and actually do the work because I attract people who are ready to show up and do the work. This is not um, a light switch. (laughs) This, like if you invest in this course, like it doesn't change your relationship with money. You actually have to show up and do the work. And so Mm -hmm. one of the questions I would ask yourself is, do I have the time and the resources right now to show up and, and commit to doing this work? And if the answer is yes, then I want you to come and join me. Mm -hmm. The third is, do I believe in the person I'm investing in? Mm -hmm. Because I think that we really need to to trust our teachers and to choose our teachers wisely. And so if you like approaching money from this relational perspective, I would love for you to come. I I have never seen anybody or heard anybody speaking about money from this perspective. I I could be wrong, Um, but this is a very different way of thinking about money, relating to money, loving money, treating money, all of the things. And so if you resonate with the way that I teach, which I would love for you to listen to some of the podcasts, right? Like get to know me so you can feel good about the investment and who you're investing in. The last thing that I would, would share with this is when it comes to can I invest the money when I don't have the money to spare mm-hmm. this? I want to tie this back to relational principle for a moment, because that's almost like saying, 
I'm not willing to give love until I receive love first. Hmm. And is that how you would approach your relationships? Wow. For most of us to be in full integrity for how we want to love, we want to be generous with our love. We want to give it, whether we receive it back or not, because that's the person that we want to be. And that's how I approach investing money because it's really investing in myself. And if I want people to invest in me, I have to also be willing to invest in me too. It's the same thing with love. If you want people to love you, you also have to love you too. It's very, very parallel work. And that's why I'm so excited to be bringing this relational dynamic into how we talk about money, feel about money, all of the things. It's going to be such a rich course. It is. And I so believe that you know, in what you say, as far as when you move money and when you actually show that self-compassion, that self-love, that self-investment, that that creates that more abundant energy and mindset too. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's something about that when we, when we approach investments from that lack perspective of just I don't have enough money. I really want to do this, but I can't afford it. And using words like can't or not enough, or I don't have that energy around it is so low, low vibration. But when you've got a thought, do it. I, I would also ask, like, is that how you want to continue to feel about money? Right. Because that's, that's the perspective that you're, you're taking with it. Right. Because if you were to believe that money was renewable, that money is limitless, that would be a way different way of approaching the the investment that you're that you're wanting to make, right? And I think that that's at some level um, it's it's a choice, but there's the reason we're making that choice is because of all of the beliefs that we hold about money, the prior experiences that we have with money. And then we really have to do the work to shift into something new, which is why we're working on the spiritual level, the mental level, the relational level, and the actual level to really start embodying something new when it comes to money. Yes, exactly. That that newer, higher vibration of approaching it from, like you said, that money is renewable, that there is an abundance of money, that money comes easily to me. Mm-hmm. Moving in that spirit and that truth, mm-hmm. it just, it changes everything. And I have this conversation on a pretty much weekly basis mm-hmm. with different clients and Mob Alliance members about investing in themselves and how you know, the difference in making decisions from a lack perspective versus enough perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's also said a lot that, you know, oh, just have an abundance mindset. And I used to say that too, but I think, you know, after listening to you and doing the work, I've seen that it's more about the enough place. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Brene Brown has this amazing quote in Rising Strong, and I know I shared it on the podcast, but I can't remember which episode now, but The quote goes, the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's enough. Yes. And that just, it kind of like just hit me right between the eyes of like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. it's so true. And so in order to get to more than enough, we have to start with enough first. Yeah. One way that you could approach that in this moment 
if you, if you want to learn from, from me in this course, for instance, like let's use that example, is that there is more than enough money on the other side of this investment that will come back to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. You're still going to have to do the actions to generate that money. But what I have found is that when we have a healthy relationship with money, the actions our money needs us to take are a whole lot easier and a whole lot more aligned. Yes. Yeah. And there was one episode where you were talking about how money likes to be moved. And that's, this was oh, in the, the love languages episode. And, yes. you know, I've had, I started up a business last year and mm-hmm. I have startup costs for my business, including business sure. coaching and all the things that it takes to get your business going. And yeah. every day that, that debt was just Mm -hmm. hanging over my head. And I felt like I was in that lack space. Mm -hmm. And so after listening to your podcast, I talked to the hubby and we used our cash to pay off the credit card. And I know, and in doing that, it has ushered in a whole wave of new energy and enough. Like there's been more than enough where there wasn't before. I love it. I know. And I'm just, I'm thrilled to see what comes next. So for those of you who are listening and you're just like, I just, I just really don't know. And I, I'm scared to invest in myself and I'm scared to do this thing and it feels risky. Just take a breath, (laughs) head over, listen to Wild and Holy Radio, and then really (laughs) spend some time just thinking about what would it be like to have enough? And then what would it be like to have more than enough? And I know you talk about this with your good, better, best goals course as well. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really challenge people to do that and to consider making a big investment in yourself, moving your money so that it has room to grow mm-hmm. and to appreciate. Yes. I mean, every time I move money, I always bring in more. It is it's like this beautiful cycle of give and take, give and take, give and take. And you're really opening yourself up to the flow of money. When we are being um, too protective over our money, we're actually closed off energetically. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we always have to be like investing and spending and all of those things, but we really kind of have to be mindful of how am I closing myself off? How am I being scared mm-hmm. around my money versus being wise? And w- let's just talk about like the difference between those for a second, because one is letting fear drive the car where the other is letting discernment drive the car. And those are two very different experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think all this really comes down to is just discerning what you need most right now. There's lots of things that we need, um, you know, to step into the next version of ourselves that we feel called to. If money is one of those, I would love for you to come and take this course with me. And if it's something else, then follow that intuition, follow it. That's what, that's the next right step for you right now. Amazing. All right, my friend, you are incredible. Where can people find you in the internet world? Yes. So I just launched a brand new website. I'm so in love with it. It's (laughs) meganhale.co. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had a a blast and a lot of effort actually went into creating that, but I'm really thrilled with the final results. So you can find all of the wild and holy radio episodes on there. Um, the only podcast I haven't updated onto the new site is the enough to start 
Revolution, which you can find on iTunes. So if you are in the space of cultivating more worthiness, more enoughness, more confidence, I think that you would really love that podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention that because it's not listed on the new site yet. Yes, definitely. And then you're, are you on Instagram, Facebook? Yes, I am. You can find me at MeganHale underscore MH on Instagram and MeganHale.MA on Facebook. Beautiful, beautiful. Megan, you are so incredible. Thank you so much for for bringing in your, your wisdom and your insights and just appreciate you being on the show so much. I am so grateful that you had me. I had a blast talking with you today and I can't wait to see you in Money Love. Yes, definitely. And if you are interested and if you have questions for Megan or I, make sure you reach out. Kim at CaptivatinglyConfident.com is the email that you can find out more. I can definitely send you links to all things Megan Hale, all things Money Love and Wild and Holy Radio. Okay. How great is Megan? Isn't she amazing? I just love her. Okay. So this Friday, June 21st, Megan is going to be offering a free masterclass, which you should totally take. It's called Four Steps to Dependable Money That Lovingly Supports Your Dreams. And Megan's classes are seriously off the hizzy. They are so good. So much information. She always over delivers. And if you are working on your money mindset, then this is the class for you. So make sure that you check that out. MeganHale.co is her new website. And I know that she would love to just work through things like money clarity, money generation, money stewardship, and how to foster a loving and supportive relationship with money so that you can shift into something new. So I'll be there. I sure hope you will be. And I will see you next time.